Welcome back to the She Built This podcast. Today, I have a very special episode in store for you. I have waited and awaited with great excitement and anticipation to both record and also to release this episode to hopefully open up your world to a new perspective. Um, so you will hear in the next episode, I think I shared, I was like, the theme here in October is money. And it sort of is in this episode sticking alongside that, but mostly we focus on the dark side of money and that is fear, which I thought was pretty apropos for Halloween, right? Um, and often it is the case that fear or a fear of money, and money go hand in hand in some way. So before you get all worried and you're like, oh my God, this is just going to be a horror show of an episode I can't listen, I do want to (laughs) set the record straight because fear gets a pretty bad rap out there. And as my guest today shares, it has been the victim of some very unfortunate PR. We're often told that fear gets in the way of us living our best lives. And if we give fear airtime or hand it the microphone, then we're just going to basically crash and burn. Well, today's guest, Farnoosh Tarabi, host of the So Money podcast, she has a different perspective. And you know what? I was totally game for exploring it because if there's one thing that I've learned about myself recently, which I never would have probably paid mind to or really understood or even labeled as this is I actually experience more fear than I would have told you. Um, Fear in all sorts of different ways, fear of rejection, fear of loneliness, fear of being too vulnerable with people and having my trust broken, fear of uncertainty. My hand is raised high on that one. Fear of endings. Um, And I think to some extent, I mean, I could go on, but I'm, I'm not going to because you know what? The point here is that these fears, the fears that we all feel, we all feel probably some more than others, they actually can help to shine a light on what matters most in our lives. They can help to propel us forward. They can help us actually be more successful and solve problems and find safety and protection and prepare. So basically, all sorts of success can actually come from following your fears. So if your interest is peaked and you're curious, you're like, hmm, I would like to see how this wisdom in the fears uh, plays out. You definitely are going to want to like this episode or listen to this episode. I think you're going to like it. And I would encourage you not to just stop here after listening. Like, make sure you definitely get a copy of Farnoosh's new book, A Healthy State of Panic. It was available as of yesterday. And it's a real deep dive into leveraging and also learning from our fears. Also, real quick, before I get into her bio, I'm just fact-checking myself because I miscited a podcast that I shared in our interview. I said I couldn't remember the name of the host, but actually I was thinking of the wrong host and the wrong guest. I had listened to a lot of podcasts that week on this is going to sound morbid, but on death and dying and the lessons therein. So the podcast I'm referring to in the episode was actually Rich Roll's podcast and his conversation with Arthur C. Brooks on happiness and building the life you want. Very good episode. Very long, but very good. So I made sure to include that link in the show notes for anybody that hears that and is like, ooh, I would like to learn more about that. Okay, enough about that. 
Now about Farnoosh, my guest today. Farnoosh Darabi is an Iranian-American journalist who was actually born in Worcester, Massachusetts. She's one of the country's leading and most trusted personal finance experts. For more than 20 years, she's dedicated her career to helping people become financially empowered and live lead richer lives. She's written multiple books, hosted a CNBC program, and served as the resident money columnist for, oh, the Oprah magazine. Today, she hosts the long-running Webby-honored podcast, So Money, which has earned over 25 million downloads. She means business, I'm telling you what. Farnoosh holds a degree in finance from Penn State and a master's in journalism from Columbia University, and she lives on the East Coast with her family. And if you do want to connect with her, follow her on her Instagram, I'll get the copy of the book. All of those links will be in the show notes. But for now, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Farnoosh. Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Farnoosh, I'm scared. Good. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Welcome to the She Built This podcast. I'm a little nervous about having you because I admire you so much. And so I think I'm having a fear of messing up. Oh, <laughs> no. I mean, first of all, thank you. That's so sweet. I hope that you get over that real quick. But also, you know, sometimes when we're afraid of uncertainty, it's like just hold on to what you can control. And in this case, it's just being your excellent self. And I'm sure we're going to have a, have a blast. Okay. So fun. So thank you for letting me voice my, my fear. Of course. That's what I'm <laughs> I, here for. We're here to talk about like one of my least favorite things ever. And that is fear and how often it crops up for us in our lives and all the different ways that it does. Um, and your new book, because it's all about that. So I have tons of questions. Um, but I want to start by looking at like your past. I actually don't know kind of what brought you to start the So Money podcast, mm. but then also like what sort of led you to write a book about fear? Mm. So not too far in the distant past, but the podcast, well, that was about nine years ago. And I had just had a child, my first kid, and I had already been running my business for about five, six years up until that point. I had many uh, wins in my career. I'm very grateful. I've had a great run up until that point. I, you know, I published a few books. I um, was speaking a lot. I had a, posted a couple TV shows. I was doing a lot in the media. So I felt very successful. But now as a mom, I was afraid of how to continue the momentum, continue the pace and continue the, uh, the level of work that I had been committed to <clears throat> recognizing that as much as I love my career, I also love my child and I love this bond and I want to be able to sort of be present, you know, as, as all parents struggle, you know, how do I, how do I do it all? How do I manage it all? And I had to find a new way of working at that point that would still have all these ingredients that I wanted. I wanted to continue making an impact. I wanted to continue deep diving into the world of money 
and I wanted to do me. I wanted to do something that felt very much like my speed, my sense of creativity, my sense of, um, you know, how I like to produce my work. And, and I'm a I'm trained in broadcast. I'm trained in journalism. I've done radio and I saw where the trend was going. I saw this was 2014. I saw, okay, there's all these podcasts and all these men doing the podcast. And I said, okay, I think I have everything I need to know. This is a worthwhile experiment. I approach life with very much through the lens of an experiment because I know some things don't work out, but I'm going to try it. I'm the daughter of a physicist. So I know all about, (laughs) you have a hypothesis, you try it out and you have a conclusion. And the conclusion sometimes is like, don't do it again. But I was like, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to give podcasting a go. Did I say that? That that was the idea that I was going to yeah, be a podcaster? Yeah, yeah. So because also it allowed me to stay home. Did I fail to mention that? You know, it was like it had all these um, overlaps of all of the ingredients that I was hoping for in the next project. Now, it didn't pay me right away, but I had a plan that, you know, I would leverage it. And I had a business plan for it. So that's really what got me to podcasting was just this confluence of all of these um, benefits to podcasting that really spoke to me for where I was in my life and the goals that I had, but also the boundaries that I wanted to maintain um, around managing my time as as a mother and as an entrepreneur. Good for you because you're talking about like 2014 when like cereal was just coming onto the scene and also good for you for understanding like how to not do that just in a studio and be able to do it at your own house with all that flexibility there. So, um, I love that. I never knew this story. So fun. Um, all right. So now about the, like writing of your book, why did mm-hmm. you decide? Cause on the surface, it doesn't seem, I mean, people do have fears around money, right. But now you're talking about like really diving into fear much, much more deeply. And I think I originally heard when you were like coming up with this whole concept, I think it was when right around the time you had Patrick McGinnis on your show, because mm. it was like a couple episodes therein. So what gave you the idea for the book? And you said, okay, I need to deep dive into fear specifically. Well, I embarked on this book journey. This is my fourth book. It has been nine or 10 years since my last book. So a lot of time has passed. And for me to go back to book writing, which as any author knows, is not a small endeavor. It is a huge huge requirement of time and energy and resources. And so I was like, if I'm going to do this, I want to make it fun. I want to make it me. I want to dive into areas that I like, I want to explore for the first time because I'm ready for a change. I want to like, I'm kind of tired talking about 401ks and Roth IRAs. Like I want to talk about life because as it turns out, when you're talking about money, you are talking about life. And increasingly my listeners and my audience, they were turning to me with life questions, not just money questions. So I felt like I had earned their trust Mm -hmm. to be able to talk about bigger things. Now, why fear? Well, I wanted to write a memoir like a lot of us start out thinking is worthy of our time, but you know, I, and my editor, bless her. She was like, fine, try that. Like try writing these stories about your life that you think are monumental or pivotal or informational. And I would, and she called me up one day and she said, you know, I love these stories. They're funny. They bring you, they show your sort of empathetic side, your, uh, you know, all this, like all these witticisms and these like lessons and takeaways. But I think that your audience expects more from you. You have been their expert for 20 years in the world of finance. Now I'm not saying write a money book, but I am saying, let's try to find a 
a big idea here. What is the big idea? What is the pattern that you're finding in many of these stories about how you think about problem solving and life approaching life? And I said, you know, I think I, I see a pattern of like, I'm terrified. She said, okay, what else? What about that terrifying girl inside? I said, um, I think that fear has helped me. And she said, oh, okay, that's different. You know, it took a good editor to be completely honest, to kind of get me to where I am, who could kind of like pull it out of me, where I was sort of taking for granted in some ways, this fear that I've always harbored as a compass to doing things in life that seem fearless, but actually I'm doing it terrified and I'm doing it, but with a constructiveness around that fear, with that fear. And she said, I think that's the big idea. I think that's not something that people expect to read, to learn. Your life is evidence that it can be a different way. And also, I think if you were to dig deep, all of the people you've interviewed on your podcast who have come on and done amazingly daring things have probably at some point in their life recognized that they were afraid. And it wasn't that they just ignored the fear, but rather they unpacked it. They asked it questions. They gave it space. And then they went and did the thing, bringing fear along as a friend, as a companion. And I said, okay, I think I can do this. And I, and I did, and I didn't, it wasn't at the expense of letting go of the stories and not bringing more of myself to the pages, but actually adding more also of like uh, the prescription, I think that people always want for me, right? Like the, what's the framework? How do you actually do that? What's the big idea? And I think this book is like just a marriage of that, but fear also because money is terrifying. And as a money expert, I have been working with fear professionally for 20 some years. It doesn't always, it's not always allowed third guest on a on my podcast, but it is there. I feel like it's always there. The, the underpinning emotional underpinning of so many of our financial questions is fear. So professionally, I felt like I could handle this, but I'm also, you know, someone who grew up terrified. I was the daughter of Iranian immigrants and my mother intentionally raised me to be afraid of all the things. And she says, you know, it all worked out. <laughs> so I was like, all right, let me connect those dots and figure out how this terrified girl grew up to like have actually a healthy relationship with fear. Oh my gosh. It's so interesting because I think fear is something that, okay, we have like a lot of schools of thought around it, but it's either like something to avoid, like, no, 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 I don't want to put myself mm -hmm. in a situation where I feel afraid. But then there's also this whole like face your fears, you know, and go do what scares you and all of this like verbiage around that. Mm -hmm. I don't get the impression that is what this book is, is like how to face your fears and overcome anything. So is it more kind of focused on like the courage to even though you have the fear, move forward in doing the thing anyway? It is about facing your fears, but it's not to look at them with this, with, through the lens of hate <laughs> yeah. and this lens of like, oh, I feel fear. Therefore I am weak. This fear has shown up because I'm a problem. There's my life is problematic. I don't have what it takes because that's how we've been conditioned to treat fear. I say fear is like any other emotion, including happiness and gratitude and grief and anger and sadness. They all deserve space in our lives. Fear especially because I think when fear shows up, it is a signal to you to, to, to stop and reflect on what it is actually that you need to protect 
Don't we all want to feel safe and secure? That's Mm -hmm. not a small thing. And it's not something to feel embarrassed by. Why does wanting to feel safe and secure, why do we feel like that's a negative? Um, we, We think that wanting for these things means that we are not courageous and brave. I don't think that these things are mutually exclusive. I think that you can be brave and also be protecting your security at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so when fear shows up, again, it's a signal to showing you what you want to protect, to recognize that and maybe go and do the thing, but with a plan that preserves that sense of whatever it is you want to secure, that thing, whatever it is you want to secure. Um, and that happens in our careers and our financial lives a lot of the time in our relationships and so forth. Okay. I do want to know how you specifically came up with the nine you chose, because I'm like hearing you talk and I'm like, first of all, I didn't even know there were that many fears, even though I I, I feel them all. (laughs) I fear them all, but I never would have known that there's that many. So how did you come up with those specific nine that you chose? Well, it was, um, I got to it in a number of ways. I think that some of them are very obvious to us, right? We, I think I tried to pick the ones that felt very universal. So the book goes through the fear of rejection, the fear of loneliness, FOMO. We all have FOMO, fear of missing out, fear of money, fear of uncertainty, fear of failure. There were a couple that were a little bit more me and brought more of my story to the forefront. But even that I felt would be something that people would read and feel connected to. Um, And that they were more nuanced perhaps than like the straightforward fear of failure, which happens every day. But like the last three chapters, one is about the fear of endings. And I didn't want to come out with a chapter that was like the fear of death, because I don't think I could write five to 7,000 words on just that. I think that <laughs> that um, I don't have enough to say on that. I think though endings is very broad and it can mm-hmm. include a lot of different things. It can include the ending of a life, the fear of ending a relationship, anything that you really value in this life that you were really um, counting on and that gives you life, right? And so I thought that was an interesting exploration, like what, how to sort of navigate that fear. Um, there's a lot of storytelling there, right? An earlier chapter is on the fear of exposure, which I almost didn't write because I wasn't sure exactly how to articulate what I was feeling. Um, And essentially that chapter is about when you sense this fear around sharing something of importance in your life to others, um, and you're worried about exposing that, maybe there is some truth to that fear. Maybe you shouldn't go there all of the time with everybody. We live in a culture that really encourages transparency and going there and bringing our whole selves all the time everywhere. And I'm like, some things are sacred. Some things you tell one individual, you don't tell another individual. And I think that when the fear of exposure shows up, it's encouraging us to read the room, tap into that spidey sense, because the world is not always, you know, ready with a bear hug. <laughs> like the, you will on the other side of that exposure might face rejection, might face loneliness, might face unfair retaliation. And so I, for one, don't want those distractions. And I'm very keen to the fear of exposure. I also talk about the fear of losing your freedom, which was also uh, a personal choice to include that because it goes back to my own immigrant background and how the fear of losing our freedom 
it started with my grandmother in Iran who was looking at all of the turmoil around her in the 70s with her three children, the youngest being my mother, and in 1978, encouraging her as hard as it was, as scary as it was, to leave the country and on a one-way ticket uh, because she was more afraid of what would happen if she stayed and how that sense of losing her freedom and not just her freedom, but her children's freedom, right, was what ultimately pushed them to do the right thing, which was to leave at that time and come here and settle. And how we inherited that sense of protecting our freedoms at all costs from my grandmother. And that how our freedoms are different for all of us, like what we value and what we define as our personal freedoms, that hierarchy is going to look different for everybody. But when you identify it, it's very important that you do. It's very important that you reserve some fear for that because that's what's going to help you fight to keep those freedoms uh, close to you. It really does seem to be almost like a guiding light as to like what what is important to you, what matters, what gives you meaning, maybe even the people in your life that matter to you, like who would you truly fear being rejected by and who maybe mm-hmm. do you not care being rejected by? Um, one question I had was, do you think that Im- is imposter syndrome, which we hear all the time, it's like starting to lose its meaning. Is that a fear or is that like something else? Is that truly not showing up? Like, is that truly just an experience of like, I'm not equipped to do this. And so Mm. I'm afraid to be found out, or is it a fear of being found out even when you're equipped? I think that imposter syndrome, there's new research around this, that it is kind of a fake thing. Like we have been, we have an imposter. It's an, (laughs) I mean, mostly women experience this. Why? I think because it is along the way they, they have, they have been told that they're not worthy. They've felt that they're not worthy of being at work on the job, on a team in leadership roles. And this usually shows up at work and our feelings around it are usually um, stemming from a sense that we get that like, we're not to be trusted. We're not worthy. And I don't think that that is um, a fake fear. I think that how you feel is real. I think that is something that I have feared, but it's rooted in something that isn't necessarily real. You know mm. what I mean? Like yeah. you can be scared of, there's, I watch a scary movie. Are my fears not real? Of course, but it's a movie. It's not real. And I think that imposter syndrome is kind of like that. It's like actually this characterization of, of a woman's role in the workplace and that you're not meeting that standard, you're actually exceeding it and that people are sort of confused by it and you're led to feel like you don't fit and you don't belong. And I mean, I think uh, Rachika Tolshin has written a book on this. I think if you want more on uh, imposter syndrome, please read her book, Inclusion on Purpose. And and she um, did a co-study on this. I think it was in Harvard Review, just about how like imposter syndrome has been this myth that has been passed down to uh, basically oppress women in the workplace. And we have bought into it because we live in a patriarchy. And it doesn't mean that how you feel about it doesn't really 
matter or isn't real. But I think that once we can recognize the root of this fear, which is part of a lot of the exercises in the book is like getting to the, tracing it to its root, to its actual place of origin, that is revealing in so many ways because it could actually reveal to you that you've been afraid of something that is smoke and mirrors. Yeah. And yeah. Do you think that people have like sort of one main fear? So I'm kind of thinking of like personality types, right? Like, are there more personality types that would be more inclined to one type of fear versus another? Maybe you can answer from your own personal experience as to which one you feel most often or the most, uh, the most in your face, I guess. Yeah. It's like such a great question. I think that what we are afraid of today as adults is related to our experiences growing up and our lived experience. You know, I think for me as the daughter of immigrants, I was born here, but very much straddled these two cultures, Iranian culture and American culture, and never really feeling like I had a real belonging to either one. Uh, always worried about rejection. And I felt lonely many years because uh, you know, I didn't have all the friends and I didn't have even a sibling or even a cousin, you know, it was just such a tough time for me growing up in the eighties. And so as an adult, I think that mm. the fears of rejection and the fears of loneliness are actually the fears that I have learned how to manage the best. It's not that they have, uh, sort of derailed me the most. It's actually what I've learned how to manage the best because I have the most experience with it. I think when you have the most experience with something, anything, it's inevitable. You're going to become an expert <laughs> in it. Okay. I consider myself an anxious person, which maybe is just a nice little clean word I'm using to describe fear, right? That I just feel underlying. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I'm curious if you would describe or define yourself as like anxious and if anxiety and fear are two completely different things. I think they're related. I interview Dr. Ellen Vore in the book. She's the author of the uh, Anatomy of Anxiety, mm -hmm. which is a fantastic book. It's more clinical. But similarly, we, we share a school of thought, which is that these emotions, and I do think anxiety and fear are sort of like they're close cousins, uh, that there are gifts in these feelings because as to quote her, it's like when anxiety shows up, it's almost like a calling to look inward and it can reveal your strengths. It can reveal, um, your desires. It can reveal, uh, your goals, just like fear. It can unlock so much about who you actually are. We don't usually have the patience for fear and anxiety or sadness or anger and all these bad emotions. But there was actually a study out this year that found an academic study that found that those of us who recognize these emotions like fear, sadness, anger as neutral or, or positive as I do are actually happier than those of us who, who look at these words, experience these feelings and immediately feel bad or think have negative associations with these words that ultimately on the path to happiness, you have to be comfortable with all of the feelings and to be really um, have a thick skin. And, and I think that if you're just focused on happiness, 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 I mean, I want to be happy. 
but I also want to be an evolved human. I want to be someone who's in touch, who knows herself. And that means to know who I am when I'm sad and I'm angry and I'm fearful and happy and joyful and grateful. All of it. We're ready for all of it. I just heard a podcast interview with, I cannot remember his last name, but I think he had Dr. Bronnie Ware, and she basically interviewed a whole bunch of people on their deathbed and was sharing like the lessons from that. And one of the things she said is that the keys to people living a happier life is that they have experienced sadness, grief, fear, struggle, challenge. So like the people that say they're exponentially happier are actually the ones that have had to go through something challenging in the first place. So I like to think of it like that. I think it's hard in the moment. Right. And that's why I love your book because it gives this opportunity to like take the individual fear and really unpack it and discover what's it's like a very cool, unique self-development tool, I think, because I don't think that a lot of people are doing this. Um, I'm curious as an author, because you had written other books and you obviously have a very strong background in journalism. Did any fears crop up for you with this specific book or like, are you feeling any right now as you're like heading into this whole week of launching? Oh, well, I'm terrified for the Goodreads reviews because I hear that they can be pretty uh, tough on the authors. And so if you are listening and you are, um, a fan of any books, please leave the author a five-star review because the algorithms do not do well with anything less and it will bury the book and the book will suffer from even a four-star review, believe it or not. So that's probably not the answer you were expecting. I would say that, um, but it's, it's top of mind because someone just gave me a fly by one on Goodreads and like no name no review, just like one. I'm like, really? Just don't leave a review. If you don't think it's worthy of, if you think it's a one, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's a perfect book, but it's not a one, sir or ma'am. But I think I had a lot of fears. Yeah. 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 Welcome to author land. It's devastating. You write this book for three years. And I say this book is really the culmination of my 43 years living life afraid and somehow still making things work. Um, That people don't value the creative process enough. And I don't mean to say that everybody has to like my book or should like every book and should leave five-star reviews, but I think um, it's just so painful, you know, and I'm saying, I'm speaking on behalf of all creatives that if you don't like something um, creative, if you don't like a piece of art, like why, why be, why do that? You know, it's not yeah. like you went to a, a business establishment and there was a fly in your soup and you know, <laughs> whatever. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say don't, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like our mothers would say, I was scared a lot in the process of writing this book of failure. I thought that, um, people will not understand why I'm writing about fear. My writing won't resonate. My stories, um, will not be funny, will not be heartfelt, will not come across as I would hope. And that I was sort of in this bubble of everybody cheering me on. But then when you leave that bubble, like I had a lot of support writing this book, right? I had my editor, my agent, my husband, my my writing coach. Everybody's like, yes, you can do this. This is great. We love the material. And I think they were being honest with me, but I was also like, you know, well, they also love me. So they're not going to be like, this is awful. But on the other side of this, this delivery is going to be some real feedback and 
it was scary to face. But you know what? I actually think that the timing for this is perfect because societally we have just been through like, I don't know, three years of fear, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that your timing, I'm not sure when you actually started writing it and if you like kind of brought the pandemic into it at all, but our country was in a state of panic and has been for many, many years. So I think now- our society is kind of on this, like, okay, we at least all understand the experience of feeling fear. And we have been in that together. So I think the book timing is just right for going back to what you said, like, are people going to get this? Are they going to be ready for this? Um, I think it's like the, the groundwork has been laid for that. I hope so. Thank you. I mean, I did include the pandemic in the writing. I was writing it. I started writing it in 2020, 2021, uh, I was writing it up until, you know, a few months ago. So uh, I just think it's um, not only the timing of with the pandemic making sense, but I think that there has been such a push over the last 10, 15 years in the self-help space to mm-hmm. focus solely on the pursuit of happiness and just type in the word fearless in Amazon, how many books come up, right? All of them are about fearlessness. And I just think we're ready for a more evolved and holistic conversation around emotional health and what it actually takes to, to be resilient and to make good decisions that it's about balancing, right? Your optimism with your pessimism. It's about risk calculations. It's about knowing what you want to protect and sometimes not doing the thing instead of just boldly doing it blindly, being fearless in the name of fearlessness. I think that that's quite dangerous. And most of us respectfully cannot afford to go do something blind and just face whatever consequence. Who has that kind of cushion? Who has that kind of, uh, frankly, you know, riches and wealth. And I don't know, I don't know who can do that. You know, I think it's not, I love FDR. I loved him. He's a great president, but if the only the president can say I'm fearless, right? Because he's got secret security. <laughs> he's got like a lot of 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 nets at his back, and he's a man, and he's a white man. And I think privilege plays a huge role in anyone's ability to just go out there and throw darts mm. and not and just be like, whatever, whatever happens, happens. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> like that's never how I've been able to work my way through life. And two, okay, you gave me like so many things here, but to your point before of exposure, right? Like that, that being vulnerable, it's great for those influencers that that is how they make their money. But mm-hmm. you go out there and put something vulnerable on the internet and it might get raked apart. Um, But the other thing I just, I just wanted to bring up is like, it's acknowledging to your point of like the things that the pessimist things, I guess it's acknowledging them. I recently posted on my Facebook page asking people, cause I did an episode on failure and like really being like what to do when you fail. Like it's an actual thing. It actually happens. We fail. So what do you do with it? And I asked people like when the last time was that they failed. And I got all of these replies. Oh, I don't call it a failure. I call it lessons or it's just feedback for me or like I moved forward from it, you know, and I'm like, that's 
great, Mm. but we have to call it for what it is. Like at first, initially you failed and yes, you turn it just like you turn all of these fears into something really, really great and, and forward movement and guidance, like inner voice, but it starts with what it is. And I think that's a huge piece of this is just like acknowledging fear that it is there, that it exists within us. Right. We take it so personally. And I think that is why we don't like certain words because they reflect poorly on us. We think, we think, right. Um, if it's a learning, it feels more like it's progressive and it's like more forward moving as opposed to failure feels like dead end. And it also feels like we did something wrong, especially in a culture where we're told like we are in control of our lives and our destiny and our future and our choices. So if something doesn't work out, okay, so am I to blame for all of that? Usually not. I talk about this in the book that when you fear failure, it may be an opportunity for you to recognize what are the systems at play that are setting you up for the failure? Mm. Now I'm all for self-accountability. I'm all for taking responsibility and owning my decisions. But the truth is in America in 2023, still, there are some antiquated systems. There are still biases, conscious biases at play. And when you fear failure, it may be your body signaling, this is not, this is not a place to go shoot for success because you will be up against a lot and a lot of this is out of your control, right? So going with that fear to somewhere where you can better cultivate success for yourself because maybe the environment is more cultivating, the the resources are more abundant, you feel more welcomed, you have access to things, you are given access to things. I think that's a healthy fear to listen to in those cases. Um, okay. So my last kind of question, and then I'll wrap up with something a little more fun, um, is when it comes to overthinking. So I don't know if you struggle with this, but I can get into these overthinking loops where I'm just like thinking about what I'm afraid of. And then I keep on thinking about it and it makes it worse. Like it amplifies it It happened to me just the other night and it was horrifying. Um, so I'm wondering if fear is a kind of piece of overthinking and what what you maybe use as a solution to get yourself out of that spiral. Because mm-hmm. it can actually even turn a moment when you're like not that afraid into something where you're terrified suddenly. Right. I can think of a couple of examples of this. In the financial world, we tend to spiral yeah. when we fear the abstract, these nebulous fears of recession, uh, bank failures, the stock market collapsing. These are real things that happen occasionally, sometimes more than occasionally. But I think that without making these fears more concrete and personal to you and having a more sense of urgency and timeliness to these fears. Because sometimes when we think about recession, we're like, what if one day there's, what if one day, um, you know, there's a flash flood because of climate change and uh, et cetera, et cetera. The, The brain can't actually create a plan around those abstracts because it hasn't quite hit home. Like you don't know directionally what to do because it hasn't been personalized yet, right? It hasn't really um, given you a reason to to be prompted to do anything except just to worry and to sort of catastrophize. So when you're in that 
I think the constructive, healthy thing to do is to take what is that sort of big, abstract, nebulous thing and distill it, bring it to your life, your personal life. So if you are worried about a recession, well, what happens typically in recessions? We lose our jobs. Uh, the stock market goes awry. Um, things become a little bit uh, less affordable potentially. So what would that mean for you if you lost your job, not just someday, but tomorrow, or your partner lost their job tomorrow, or if your investments tanked 40, 50% tomorrow, how would you feel? What would you do? What are the resources that you have? Take inventory of all of these things now. The fear, once you do that, like when you get it really specific to your life and your timing, I think it prompts you to fill those holes, get those answers, create a to-do list. This has always worked for me. And I think it works beautifully when we allow ourselves to kind of go deeper with the fear, you know, um, in a way that feels more uh, intimate to us. And problem solve. <laughs> and problem solve, right? Yeah. Something I heard today was somebody takes their kind of worst case scenario whenever they feel fear. They jot down like the worst case scenario mm -hmm. and they look at that and that's how they kind of move through a fear of failure or a fear of rejection. Like, okay, what would it look like if I lived in a van down by the river? That's not my worst case scenario. I can think of way worse, but what would it really look like if I followed this all the way through and then recognizing that there's this entire spectrum between where you are and your worst case scenario. So there's like all of these things that can happen mm -hmm. to you in there. And I really like that. It's, it's very similar to this. I don't know if you're like a worst case scenario oh, person, but <laughs> there is a whole section dedicated to worst case, what ifs and the wisdom and the gifts in doing exactly what you describe. And so I talk about it more in the context of this, the fear of money. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you do go to the edge and the darkest side and you go to like the worst case scenario, it's painful, right? It's painful to imagine that it's painful to see it. It's visualizing that is hard, but it is a worthwhile exercise and not because I'm a masochist and I want everyone to do this, but because it actually, it, it releases a chemical in the brain that wants to ultimately um, find a solution quickly with urgency yeah. because we don't want to continue feeling the pain. It is a natural response when you feel the fear to all that stuff. So do that and and know that you're, you're still in a safe place. The things haven't happened yet. Let that comfort you. It's just your imagination, but go there and see what's the worst that could happen. It might make you first recognize that actually things are okay. And that was part of, that was why you had to go through that experience just to sort of become more grateful for what you have, or it could identify the holes in your financial life or elsewhere that need to be filled and better now than when that thing, if someday happens. So, you know, back to the layoff example or the losing your job example, you go to the dark, scary place of like, I lose the job tomorrow and I don't know if I'm going to be able to make my rent. And what if I lose my home? So let's sort of, re you know, reverse engineer that. Let's uh, imagine that happens. And then what would you do? You have to go look at how much money's in your bank account. You have to go see, you know, how far will your savings stretch? Will you get see unemployment? Will you get a severance? Do the calculations actually now, where are you at? Is what you were fearing accurate or not? 
I don't know the answer, but we have to go through that exercise. And the fear is what's going to prompt us to even do that. I bet you're a really good packer for vacation. Like <laughs> that's um, what my worst case scenario usually does. It's like, let's make a preparation list of everything we could possibly need. <laughs> I know, you know, I just got, I went to, uh, I went to South Carolina to, um, Charleston and I overpacked for sure. Like I could not, um, I had to check in my carry on bag every time, not because I was overpacked probably, but just because I was like in group four. <laughs> I like <laughs> to call it happens. prepared. Let's go with <laughs> yeah, prepared. Yeah. It's not overpacked. Okay. Let us know how we can find and connect with you online and how people can get a copy of the book. Thank you so much for having me. The book is available at ahealthystateofpanic.com. I've got all the links for uh, easy ordering. And I have a podcast three times a week called So Money. I'd love for you to subscribe and join me there. I'm also hanging out in the DMs on Instagram. Huh. So follow me at Farnish Tarabi. Send me your questions there. Um, say hi there. I love to to meet all the, the followers and friends of the community and encourage you to connect with me there. And then one more question, just for fun. I promise I won't make you overshare. Um, what books are books or book are you reading right now? Well, I am reading a book called Erasing the Finish Line by Anna Homayun. She'd be a great guest on your podcast. Anna is a an educator, a consultant in education. She has been working with students for 20 years. And her latest book, this is, I think it's her book number four, it talks about how we have been so laser focused on getting our children into college. And what does that mean? Like just focusing on the academics at the at the expense of not socializing and um, being responsible for any of their, you know, any of their things. Cause like parents are just like study, 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 like forget about having to make your own meals or get yourself up for school in the morning. We'll do that. We'll drive you to school. We'll, you know, that it ultimately creates a young adult who is uh, incapable of really surviving in this world when they get uh, to yes. college. You know what I mean? It's a little bit of like the helicopter parenting, but it's also it's society, right? That's pushing this, putting this pressure on families and children who where college feels like the goalpost. So you just, you just study for the exam, you write for the college essay, you write for the college entrance, you prepare your conversations for the college acceptance mm -hmm. meeting. And, da, da, da. and so in the meantime, you have forgotten how to make yourself your own lunch. You have forgotten how to get yourself up out of bed in the morning because everyone's been doing that for you. You don't know how to deal with rejection. You don't know how to deal with um, failure because everybody has been trying to set you up for success including mostly your parents and your loved ones. And, and it's a short-term goal with long-term consequences. And she is writing to parents who might still have young people in their homes. And even for the adults in the room who want to like, just learn the easy steps that we can take daily to sort of build that resilience and that can do itness and that capability that kids need to be able to go to college and or wherever they go after high school with a sense of, I can, I got this, you know, I don't have to come back home autonomy. Yeah. 
I love that. Okay. I'm going to include that in the show notes as well as all the links for your book. And I just want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with me. Thank you so much, Emily and everyone listening. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. 